at the UN Climate Conference COP27 in Egypt, we took a closer look at the future of our planet. How do we build, eat, cook, invest and live if we are to meet the 1.5 degree target of the Paris Agreement by 2050? What changes need to be made and how will they impact our everyday lives? Every action that limits global heating can reduce the suffering endured by people from climate impacts. Drastic emission reduction is necessary, and every fraction of a degree counts. We all know that the future starts with the decisions we make today. So that's why the Nordic countries invited to daily debates at the Nordic Pavilion at the COP27. In this special series of the Nordic Talks podcast, we invite you to listen in on how we drew up the lines of life in the world of tomorrow. I'm Andrea Molt. Welcome. In this talk, uh, which we uh, arranged with, uh, in collaboration with BlockSub and the Copenhagen Institute for Future Studies, we will explore how we can create a regenerative world that works within the planetary boundaries and ecological systems. And uh, to um, elaborate on that, um, we have uh, invited uh, Joe De Silva, Global Director of Sustainable Development at Arup, and uh, Nikolai Sveistrup, uh, associate partner at the uh, Copenhagen Institute for Future Studies. And um, Nikolai, I'm, I'm going to start with you because what I want to know, and I guess uh, our audience as well, what does it mean to regenerate? Well, it's a question that is very big. To uh, regenerate for me means that we have to have a new mindset of how we are thinking of the way we are living how are we living and uh, coexistence with the nature. So we need a shift in our mindset. Well, as uh, I can see in a lot of uh, discussion here at the COP, we have this new focus that we are a part of the nature. We are not besides looking into the nature, using the nature, we are part of the nature. And that is why it is not good enough when we go and try to reduce the impact we have on the nature we have to um, look in a way to be positive in the participating living together with nature. You and your organization are very focused on regeneration. Uh, and uh, you also have this campaign called Regenerate Now. Uh, why is this so important to BlockSub and, and SIFS? Well, it's very important for us because we are looking into a lot of goals now where we try to reduce our impacts to get this below 1.50 uh, degrees but we have to go beyond sustainability sustainability for me is that we just do a little bit better uh, or do a little less harm but we have to do it in a positive way if we should uh, survive this uh, because right now the all, all the figures is going the wrong way uh, Joe De Silva, before we go, get, get down to the specifics about Regenerate, could you give our audience here a short introduction to Arup? Because, I mean, you guys have done great work and you've been around for, since 1946, I think. But what kind of organization are you? Um, Arup is a uh, private um, organization. It's a business 
but it's a very unusual business. We were founded by a Dane called Ove Arup in uh, 1946, and we're an engineering, design, planning, consultancy firm uh, specializing in urban development and infrastructure. Uh, we've got 18,000 people globally, and what's unique is we, we're owned by ourselves. So we have no third-party shareholders, and our mission in life is to make a better world. And what are your uh, thoughts on, on the regenerative perspective of this? So my role in Arup is as Global Sustainable mm. Development Director. As a firm, we've put sustainable development at the heart of everything we do. Mm. And our near-term milestone is 2030 and the Sustainable Development Goals. But they are a milestone on the journey of where we need to get to. And where we need to get to is a regenerative future. And that's why a few years ago, we published um, Future Scenarios 2050, which looked at where we need to get to by 2050. One future was regenerative, but it relies on us tackling climate change and addressing the sustainable development goals. So the next few years really matter. Nikolai, uh, I know you, earlier on you, you had actually said that we need to evolve. What do you mean by this? Well, um, when I said this, uh, and I said it uh, several times, it's because I think this change we're looking into is not just getting back to how it was uh, in, in, in from 100 years ago before we started to use all this oil and gas and so on. But uh, we have now a good quality of life using all these different things. Uh, but it, to get into the next level, we have to evolve just like humankind, as we always have done for the last uh, uh, millions of years. So, so we have to uh, think of how should we live together with the nature, and uh, we don't do that today, so that's why I say we have to evolve uh, like human beings. Why are Arup, uh, as you state yourself, uh, going a step further than sustainability? I, I mean, most people think that sustainability is good enough, but you, you want to go beyond that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, Arab, the business we're in, and, and all businesses are, rely on natural resources. And the shift that we've got to make, the mindset shift, is from being extractive to being regenerative. And so everything we're doing in between, like tackling climate change, restoring nature, shifting to a circular economy, those are the stepping stones that get us from the world we live in now, which is extractive, to one that is regenerative. Um, you know, our future depends on it. Our firm's future depends on it. But also what we find is that it's really important to look at a longer term horizon. So much of the wrong that exists in the world is due to short termism. And the regenerative agenda is the long term sustainability agenda. And it, and it encourages us to think beyond next year, the next three years, you know, the next 10 years, to actually write towards 2050 and write out to the end of the century. And, you know, just to share a personal um, perspective, um, I realized um, about 10 years ago that I was going to be the same age my father was when he died in 2050. And so 2050 suddenly became real for me. In the summer, my brother had a rather late life baby who is three months old. And I look at her and realize she's not even going to be the age my mother is at the end of the century. Mm. And so 
we need to be able to, we want to imagine the world, our children, our grandchildren, and for me, my niece grow up in. Um, and that's why it's so important because it's about getting to people's hearts about where they want the future to be. And if the world can collectively imagine a better future, we have much more chance of creating it. The regenerative perspective is also about uh, cities. Um, why do, do cities play such a vital part in this? What, what? Sickness? Cities. Cities, oh C yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't hear what you're saying. Uh, yes, cities is uh, for us right now, we see, still see people moving into the cities. And right now, the concentration of people is a problem. And, but it's also the solution. So cities are a part of the problem uh, because it's where we are concentrated all our emissions and so on. But it's also there because we are so concentrated that we can make the, the solutions. Because right now the um, amount of people in the cities are raising like this uh, and they've build, been building uh, new cities all over the world. So we have to think the way we are using the cities we already got but also as uh, very important for Arab and, and, and other people who are building the cities, all the new cities that's building around the world. We have to sink them in a new way instead of just building the old way. I think one thing we really have to remember is that in the history of human civilization and human history generally, we are relatively new at living in cities. So we're practicing and we've got a lot wrong. Mm -hmm. And part of what we've got wrong is we've set up urban development with a divide and disconnect between nature and what we call the built environment. And so we actually have to change that completely and just think about urban environments where we start with nature. We start with the blue and the green infrastructure, what's there. And we conceive cities thinking about the hy hydrology, the topography, the geology and build from that rather than doing what we've done for decades now, which is displace nature and just concrete over it. And it, it's, it's this complete rethink about what an urban environment means. But we also have to acknowledge the fact that it's not surprising we've got some things wrong because it's actually only in the last few hundred years that urban living has become the norm. And you know, we're more than half the world's population living in cities now. And you know, by 2050, it's predicted to be 70%. So we have to get cities right. Um, but we can't, can't think about cities in isolation either. We need to remember that cities depend on food supplies that come from the countryside. And there are flows between the countryside and cities. And so again, it's breaking down boundaries and thinking about systems. Yeah, that was also what I was uh, thinking of, because uh, what is a city? A uh, city, of course, is where we live and where we build and, and we have our daily lives and go to work. Uh, but it's also all the supplies in and out. That's why I often talk about this systemic change, because we have to think in another way. Right now, we have a global food system. But if we're going to live more close to nature, we're going to go not back, but forward to a new system where we can use the hinterland for more food. Uh, but we should also get the energy from the roofs of the city houses and so on. So we, we have to think in another way of getting all the 
stuff more local. So mm. the, the good old word of, of localihood and, and, and being local, and we're also talking about more local cities, 15-minute cities and so on, mm. where we're not using that much. Mm. So we should get the food from the local, we should uh, live local. Uh, yesterday was a lot of talking about we not have to travel so much in, in the future. Uh, all this uh, new way of thinking, new way of living. It's not meaning that we have a bad, uh, bad uh, quality of life, mm. The goal is still having a good life, but you have to change of what is good. It sounds to me like an enormous task to, to make this change, because I mean, looking at cities today, it's concrete, steel and glass. Uh, how do we actually change those buildings, the, the structures that are there uh, in a regenerative perspective? It's, I mean, I always talk about the fact we're on a journey. We're not going to do, you know, achieve everything overnight. But I mean, just changes that are significant. If you go back five, 10 years, if anyone came to Arab and wanted us to help design a headquarters building, their expectation was it was steel and glass and very tall. Now we're working with progressive clients like Google and what they want is mass timber construction. Um, in Germany, we've done um, eight, nine story buildings in timber. So, you know, timber as a material is a way forwards. But it's not going to meet everyone's requirements. It, it's not going to meet the whole construction need in the world. And a lot of the materials that we need to build are already, they're already extracted. They're already locked up in buildings. And we don't use our buildings well. A lot of buildings are empty for large parts of the day. In every city in the world, there are empty buildings. And so building utilization is another just stepping stone on the journey. And so when we... Um, looked at this, we, we thought about, we started with the planetary boundaries. Um, you mentioned them when you began, and they are so important. Mm. Um, you know, they are the limits to growth. They are the limits to what we can do on this planet. Um, they're very difficult to understand. And it took us a lot of research to, and a lot of conversations with Johan Rockström mm. to, to actually downscale them and make them accessible And we produced a publication called um, Planetary Boundary Cities. And we just tried to make it simple and saying, what are we doing now that is, you know, against the planetary boundary, making it worse? And what are we doing that's doing the right thing? And if we start doing more and more of the right thing, mm. you know, the curve will change and we'll start heading towards that regenerative future. Mm. But we have to have... Um, you know, visions and pictures and, you know, encourage the creative professions, the architects, mm. the filmmakers to make mm. films of the future. Not, not always these, um, these films that are, are about the end of the world. Mm. You know, we want to have the films that are about what does a regenerative future look like mm. so that we can really aspire to get there. But uh, how do you then go about uh, changing uh, this? I mean, you have customers, so you have to, to kind of influence them to, to, to make the, the right decision. How do you go, go about that? We're And very what? lucky in Arup because we have a very special team, our foresight team. And um, they are a group of individuals who are trained professionals and have the tools to think in a very methodological way about the future. Thinking about future scenarios, um, collecting research on trends that we're on now and how those trends might converge or conflict and therefore create alternative futures. Now for a firm as big as ours, it's, this is really important because the decisions that we're making today need to 
get us, keep us on the right trajectory or put us on the right trajectory. And so it goes back to what I was saying earlier, that one of the shifts that we all have to make is just to have these longer term horizons. And so every decision we make today thinking, where's that going to lead us in a year, in five years, in 10 years? Um, and, and is that going to lead us to the right place? And, it, and if it's not, we just shouldn't be doing it. Nikolai, when we have been talking to, to different people around here at, at COP and, and one, one trend, if you like, uh, that I listen to is that we need to, to stop building. Yes. What do you think? Is, 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 it, yes. is that well, the right path? Well, uh, yes and no. Uh, of course, we, uh, we right now, when we look into this 2050, uh, a lot of the houses uh, that will be in 2050 is already here now. Mm. So we, when you look at 30 years back, it's only in the 90s and, and in the 1990s. And we, we are old people, we know, uh, we can remember that. That's not so long ago. Mm. So that would not be so long to 2050. But we have to think about what is needed to be built. Right now, the one who decides what is going to be built mm. is mostly into it for uh, a quick uh, fix of money to earn mm. some money. But we have to more, make more... Uh, uh, governance and, and, and look into what is the needed uh, buildings. So yes, we can say stop for buildings. We can do this urban mining uh, saying, okay, what is, what is mm. the resources we can have already uh, used in mm. the cities? But of course, there's part of the world where we cannot say stop. Uh, and that's where we should use this uh, bio-based materials like uh, wood and, and so on, uh, where we can still do it, but do it with materials that are regenerative that could go back in the natural mm. system. I mean, stop building seems to be, uh, if not top of mind, so at least in uh, the private sector's mind, as well as the experts. I don't hear the same talk uh, uh, among the politicians. Uh, how do we convince the politicians? I mean, in Copenhagen, they are now building this huge island, uh, handmade, if you like, uh, uh, outside uh, the city center. Um, and uh, it's a 70-year-long uh, project. Um, it doesn't seem that Copenhagen, in, in this perspective, is on the right path. And it's, it's a political decision. So it's, the, the progress in Copenhagen is, of course, very political. And the island that you're talking about is, is, a, is a very good example because the idea of the island was to protect Copenhagen from the sea rise and, and instead of just building a wall in the sea, we said, okay, we can build a new part of the city. We have done that always in Copenhagen. Uh, half of Copenhagen mostly is uh, a part of, of, uh, of uh, the, the, uh, the local uh, sea. So we have just building building out. There's a very, very big discussion in Copenhagen if this is the right way to do it now. Mm. A lot of people are very angry of this because they don't want it. The people don't want to have this new uh, taking more of the nature uh, into the city. They say, okay, why can't we uh, uh, do something in the city we already got? You know, we're living in a very big apartments. We have uh, in, in this structure for the last 20, 30 years have been to take all the small units to make them larger. We could do the same, just making them smaller and then have a, a small room to live in and then a smaller room to live in and then... Um, still have, don't have to use more of the nature. So that's a very, very big issue for us. I think we have to think more too about why we build. So we, you know, I mentioned that circularity, you know, adopting circular economy principles is a stepping stone to a regenerative future. 
um, earlier this year, we, we published an open source toolkit called the Circular um, Buildings Toolkit. And it's built on five principles. And the first one is don't build. Mm. And people say to me, but your organization has created this toolkit and you're saying don't build. Mm. And I say, we're saying don't build unless you absolutely have to. In Africa, we need to build. We need to build the cities in Africa in response to the massive increases in population that are happening and to raise the standard of living for the millions of people living in informal settlements. So in some places, it's absolutely necessary to build. But we also say that build for the long term, build efficiently. And so much of the building that we do at the moment is very inefficient. We're very conservative in terms of the factors we assume for materials, um, for loads. We could create buildings with much less materials, but we need to rethink our building standards. Um, and we need, of course, to be bringing online all these new materials. And that's where there's really exciting things going on in biofabrication. You know, making materials um, out of mushrooms, mycelium. Um, you know, which we've done some work on that. We've built the first mycelium house. It's, you know, it's 100% renewable. I'm not sure I'd want to live in it because it's not got windows and it has, it's a dome shape, but it's a stepping stone on that journey. And we've also been working with another organization on mycelium acoustic panels for buildings. So it's, the other thing that's important with buildings is realizing that the resources in a building, it's not just the, the, the building structure, it's also the facade and the building services, and they get replaced every 10, 20, 30 years. Um, and we, you know, that's a shift we have to make if we're going to get to a regenerative future. But it's, it's the final step is really changing the whole business models and, and everything we do, thinking where do the resources come from? How do we um, retain those resources? And how do we give them back to nature or mine the materials and reuse? Um, and, you know, it's the beginning of a journey of exploration, which every research organization on the planet should be working on, um, and every organization exploring what would the world look like if, if, if we moved in that direction. I was thinking that uh, what we have been talking about now is, is the rural, or, or this, the, the urban, urban, sorry. <laughs> because I was going to the rural. Because, I mean, rural areas, uh, people move away from them. Uh, is that also something we, that should be taken into to the calculation, if you like, in the generative perspective, making people stay in the rural areas rather than move into the cities where we uh, cause problems? People will go where, to places where they can meet their needs mm. for shelter and water and sanitation and food. And mostly that relies also on, on jobs, employment or livelihoods. Mm. And, you know, a lot of the rural urban migration is because uh, life in, in rural areas has become too tough. The land has been denuded. And so regenerative agriculture is a really important and fundamental part mm. of a regenerative future. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, people are moving to cities for survival, not because they're necessarily, you know, better places to be. Um, oh. And, you know, we, we need to think of, think of this as a whole um, and, and get a better distribution of a population. But all of it, whether it's, it's urban planning or whether it's agriculture, needs to start with actual real care for nature and, and realizing that we have to really and nurture the land that we live on 
rather than deplete it, which is what we're doing at the moment. Mm. And, and the technical uh, the development right now is in, in most Western countries and, 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 and all over the world is that we now can work remote, we can do things in a different way that we used to do uh, and we will also have another way of transport so I also think that we the city the, the the shape of the city will evolve because you can live in a distance and uh, work home two or three four days a week and then come into some some office and, and that will also change the way we see uh, where I want to live where I want to what is important for me my family my my house uh, and the nature around me and also getting into uh, how can I do something mm -hmm. myself growing uh, my vegetables and so on so I will think there will be a change in that yeah. I, I, I think that I, yeah. I feel I can see one one of the many trends that's going on right now or two of them is that we can work remotely and we also want to do something ourselves we want to be a part of it we want to take part as yeah. human beings so so I think that's going to be a big shift the other thing that I'd like to mention um, that I think is also important is um, is data and digital you know mm. we this is possible because we can we have the ability now to understand our planet mm. in a way that we haven't been able to before mm. um, I was talking earlier this week to a wonderful organization called restore and they have developed an, a global platform for under for pooling information globally on where nature is being restored so we can actually see how the the cumulative benefit of what everyone's doing locally to, to, to restore the environment that we're in. And you know, that, that's uh, really important because we can't just look at where deforestation is happening. We have to look at the positive sign, side of it as well um, and inspire people to do things in their locality. Um, I firmly believe um, that we are very place-based people. Um, I've worked in a lot of post-disaster situations due to natural hazards, where people have been displaced from where they come from. And, you know, people have a deep connection with the land that they live in, the environment, the weather. That's, that's stuff we grow up in as children and we absorb that into our souls. And people lose that as they go, grow older. And we've created a world where we're always rushing around and traveling from A to B. And a big step on a regenerative nature is to make places you know, localized and collectively owned by the people that live in them. Um, and that's why going back to the urban environments, the concept that's gained a lot of popularity recently is this 15 minute city. And of course, with COVID, we all experienced it during lockdown that, you know, everything that you need, whether it's food or whether it's water or whether it's schools for your kids or whether it's a doctor, you should be able to access within 15 minutes walk or bicycle ride. And, and then we, you know, we know our cities, our, our environments as, you know, re as intimately as people know their villages and therefore we care for them much more. Thank you. Uh, we are actually running out of time. We, we could do this all day. Oh, but yes. we're here at the Nordic Pavilion, we, ha we have a focus on what the Nordics would look like in, in 2050. Um, if we shift to the regenerative thinking and practice, short answer from both of you. Uh, well, how do the Nordics and Europe look like within in 2050, in your opinion, Joe? Well, I hope that by 2050, we will be, when we imagine a city in our mind, it's not gray, 
it's green um, and it's blue and it's inclusive of other species so that there are birds and animals living in the city alongside ourselves as, as people. We don't make that separation. Um, and that people do have this very strong sense of place and community because regenerative, a regenerative future isn't just about nature. It's also about regenerating communities and overcoming this fragmentation of communities, lack of social cohesion that is, is so prevalent all around the world. Nikolai, your turn. Yeah, well, I think we agree a lot here, so that's nice. But we will see a city that's a part of the nature, uh, where we have this room for coexistence with nature and nature as animals and, and uh, the greenery and so on, but also having this connection to the hinterland that also have to be more, uh, more uh, close to the visions about a better biodiversity. Uh, then we will see a lot of changes in the systems, the way we are using, reusing things, uh, the water and so on would be a, a reused uh, a resource instead of just creating new water. People will think a lot. Uh, and I think the most important thing is that we will not have this human-centric a, a way of, of looking at things, but a life-centric. So it's including the nature uh, and, and the way we are living. Joda Silva, Nikolai Sveistrup, uh, thank you for being with us this morning. <laughs> <laughs>